Welcome to the Thrive Theology Podcast. We are so excited that you're joining us this week again. We are starting with a new series on missions or and missiology, which is the study of missions. This week, we're going to be talking about um, definitions, missions in the Old and New Testament, purpose, types of mission work, etc. And we are excited for you to join us. As always, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on whatever app you're listening to. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, we'd love if you could put us a review down there or double hit the stars. That would be great. You can also find more information on our website, thrivetheology.com. So we're going to start today with defining um, some of the different terminology and words that are used a lot when we talk about missions. So the first one Bethany already briefly mentioned is missiology, and this is the study and science of communicating the gospel of Christ across different cultures and throughout the world. Missions is defined as bringing the gospel to unbelievers. Uh, Senders are people who use their resources to support those who are called to missions. And goers are people who are actually called to go to those who haven't heard the gospel. So the idea here with these two definitions is the idea that you don't have to actually go and physically be on the mission field in order to be involved in missions. You can be some of the, the people who are staying at home and supporting the people who are actually sent. Furlough is a break of time from the mission field for rest, time with family and friends, reporting back to sending churches of what the Lord has done, extra training and raising support, etc. So a lot of the times if you've had a missionary come to your church and uh, speak about the work that they're doing, they're on furlough, which is typically it's like six months or a year um, or an extended furlough would be probably a couple of years where these missionaries just spend time traveling to different churches. They will um, sometimes stay with family or friends or, or be hosted by the people at those churches um, since they don't actually necessarily have a home in the country that they're originally from. And they'll just take this time to, um, like I said, report back, fundraise, and uh, offer updates. Those are actually like my favorite times when we talk about missions because we actually get to meet the missionaries um, and like see them in person. And it, I mean, it shouldn't make you feel more like about them. Like it shouldn't make you feel more connected, but totally does. Like I remember we, our church supported missionaries in Japan and they had a daughter about my age. And so we would pray about them and like, oh yes, they have a daughter your age. And then they actually came and I got to meet her. And like, we got to be friends in the half, like the half a day that we were together at the church after church for a potluck. It was really neat to, after that, oh yes, this family that you met her, like it just makes it more real, I think. Oh, for sure. Our next term is the 1040 window. This is like a buzzword in the missions world. The 1040 window is an area 10 to 40 degrees above the equator that's identified as an area of the globe that struggles with poverty and low quality of life, a lack of access to the gospel, and has um, the most unreached people groups. So it encompasses most of North Africa, the Middle East, and almost all of Asia. So that's like um, India, like all of the Asian countries that are there. And then unreached people groups, which we had just, I just said that in the 1040 window. Um, These, this is an area or group where there's few evangelicals and few who identify as Christians, little, if any history of Christianity and less than 5% of these are professing Christians. Um, And a section of this unreached people group are the frontier peoples. This is your tribe in the middle of the jungle. Who's never, like been outside to meet anybody. 
there the unreached people groups with 0.1% or fewer Christians of any kind and no evidence of a self-sustaining gospel movement. There are about 5,045 frontier people groups with a total population of 1,940,296,000. That's a lot of people. One fourth of the world lives in frontier people groups and have almost no chance of hearing about Jesus from someone of their own people group. And that information is from the Joshua Project. So we have lots of different terms for missionaries now, mostly because the term missionary has kind of a negative connotation in certain areas. Perhaps those areas or countries have had negative experiences with missionaries before. Um, And so now the term that the Christian Missionary Alliance and other people use is an international worker. We also have humanitarian activists or people who don't claim the title missionary because it can damage their cause for actually reaching people for the gospel in the place that they're in. Okay, so now we're going to move into looking at what missions looked like in the Bible. So first, we're going to go through the Old Testament and talk about some different Bible verses that have been used to support um, missions in the Old Testament. Um, Before we do that, I just want to clarify that during the time of the Old Testament, God was dealing with only Israel as a nation, um, and he was he was doing that because they were the kingdom of priests. They were the ones who were going to bring his name to the rest of the world, to all the nations. So since salvation had not yet come to all the nations, um, because Jesus hadn't come yet, it's pretty safe to say that mission work did not exist in the Old Testament. The goal of the Israelites was not to spread the message of the gospel to all the other people groups. Instead, they were to be an example, a holy priesthood, um, pointing other nations to God. So because of that, there aren't actual instances of mission work of the one nation sending people out to other nations to preach Christ crucified, if that's going to be our definition of mission work. Um, That being said, there were plenty of people who responded to God's call. So we're going to read some of those verses for you now. The first one comes from Isaiah chapter six, verses eight to 10. It says, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. And he said, go and say to this people, meaning the Israelites, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their eyes heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. This verse is about Isaiah being called to be God's messenger to the Israelites. This is his personal commission to become God's prophet and God's um, mouthpiece to the people of Israel. Second, we have 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 10, which says, And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. And this is where God is speaking to Samuel about the, what the result of Eli's son's sins would be. And then we've got 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verses 23 through 25, which say, Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, for he is to be feared above all gods. And this verse is part of David's song of thanks, which he sang when the ark was being brought into the temple. Next, we have Isaiah 52, verse 7. It says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. 
Um, this verse is often used to be a supporting text for mission work. Um, but if you look at the context, it doesn't say those who bring the gospel. It just says those who bring good news in general. Um, and of course, salvation is good news. <laughs> that is the definition of the gospel is good news. Um, but this specific verse is specific to Jerusalem. And the idea is that Jerusalem will be desolate. And the good news that's coming is that Jerusalem will be restored. Next, we have Nahum chapter one, verse 15. It says, behold upon the mountains, the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. Keep your feasts, O Judah, fulfill your vows for never again shall the worthless pass through you. He is utterly cut off. And the context here is pretty much the same as the last verse I just read from Isaiah. missions in the New Testament. Now, this is probably where you're more familiar since the gospel was to be brought and those people were more called missionaries. We start in Matthew chapter 28, um, verses 18 through 20, which say, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." And this is the Great Commission. Jesus tells the disciples clearly what that they are to go to all nations, although he focused his efforts on Israel with, with a few exceptions. Um, and this is important because, like, go to all nations. Jesus knows how many nations there are. He knows how many nations there are now. And it means that we're supposed to bring the gospel everywhere. It's not just for a certain people group. It's not just for a certain country. It's not just for, like, a certain time. It's for all time for all nations. And then we've got Acts chapter one, verses six through eight, which say, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, the disciples still thought Jesus was going to be restoring Israel at that time, maybe like rescuing them from the Romans. They didn't understand the first and second coming. And Jesus tells them that they don't get to know the time when restoration will happen, but they are to be his witnesses in the meantime, not only in Israel, but in Samaria and to the very end of the earth, meaning beyond Israel. Our next example comes from Acts chapter 13, verses 45 to 49. It says, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. So Paul and Barnabas here explain that the gospel is not for the Jews only. And um, of course, I love the response of the Gentiles here. They rejoice and they're so happy. And this is really showing a clear distinction, like the Jews who reject Jesus 
um, will be judged for that. And the Gentiles accept it gladly. Next, we have Romans chapter 10, verses 13 to 15. It says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And that is, of course, from that Isaiah passage I quoted a few moments ago. So here, Paul is telling the Roman Christians that there is no longer a distinction between Jew and Greek and reminds them of how important it is to spread the message of Christ to everybody, not just keep it among the Jews. Next, we have Matthew chapter 24, verses 14, and Mark chapter 13, verse 10, which say, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Some have used this verse as the reason for urgency and missions to bring Christ's second coming. Um, and to be honest, it feels weird to suggest that we are the ones who control when Jesus comes back. Like if we take a long time, he'll wait and vice versa. If we take a short time, he'll come faster. Um, it also kind of gives more of a selfish reason for evangelizing. Like, oh, I'm going to tell once everybody has heard the name of Jesus and heard the gospel, like then Jesus will come back. Jesus will come back. And I want Jesus to come back. So I'm going to tell everybody. And yes, there's concern for souls in there, but it does feel a little off. And then we have Revelation chapter 14, verses six through seven. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and bring him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Now this passage makes it clear that at some point, every nation will have heard the gospel and that there will be a day judgment for all peoples of the earth. So just to kind of recap um, before we go on, um, we just want to touch on the purpose of missions. So the purpose of missions is the Great Commission, like Bethany read um, earlier, and that is to preach Christ, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and creating disciples, teaching them to obey all that Jesus commanded. The purpose of missions is not, and we are going to get into this in future episodes in great detail, but the purpose of missions is not to make people like us, to civilize other people groups, or to build our economy. And unfortunately, there is um, a long history of missions that um, do both of these. They do the purpose well, and they also do the purpose really not well. So we are going to be discussing that in future episodes quite in depth. Um, so stay tuned for that. But we just wanted to clarify biblically, based on these verses that we've read, what the purpose of missions is and is not. Next up is mission work and evangelism. Now, Merriam-Webster defines mission as a ministry commissioned by a religious organization to propagate its faith and carry on humanitarian work. Um, and then evangelism is defined as the winning or revival of personal commitments to the Lord. Now, these two words are sometimes used like they're the same thing, but evangelism is really a part of missions. Missionary work in most cases doesn't only involve preaching. It also involves discipleship, teaching literacy, working to support oneself, providing health care, and meeting other physical needs. These all happen, these all need to happen to open doors to evangelism opportunities and to fulfill like what Christ has called us to do. Um, that is not just preaching the gospel. Yeah, many missionaries will do years, sometimes decades, of non-gospel 
quote unquote, non-gospel work so that they can establish themselves in a community and build relationships that will allow them to later share the gospel down the road. Um, And we're going to be sharing lots of examples as well of this type of mission work um, and how that can be missions done really well as well. Um, We also want to touch on the types of mission work that there are. So we have short-term missions. um, That's if, if any of you have been on a mission trip, that's probably the mission trip you've been on is short-term mission trips. Um, These are the ones that are really popular with high school and college students, and they tend to be a week to two years long. Long-term mission trips is anything over two years. Lifelong missions is moving to a place as a missionary and intending to live there forever. Now, there are missionaries that will move to a place um, with the intention to be there like 25 or 40 years, but lifelong would be people who continue to stay in the mission field even after they are technically retired from ministry and are maybe no longer being supported by the denomination. So these are the people who have figured out a way to be self-sustaining in their field and they've decided to stay there indefinitely. Cross-cultural missions is moving to another cultural location for ministry. So of course this this is, this is pretty much what we think of when we think of missions. We assume these people are going to another country um, or to a different culture. This often requires learning the language and getting special training first um, because going into a new culture, you, you pretty much have to relearn how to operate because you don't have the same cultural mores in that culture as you do your own. Medical is combining evangelism with medical work to improve the health and well-being of the people and then using that to build a bridge to share the gospel. So these would be like opening a clinic and that sort of thing where people are coming primarily for their physical and health needs, um, but you are ministering to their spirits as well um, in that environment. Lastly, tent maker missionaries um, are the people who are like Paul taking their vocation into different countries that are hostile to the gospel um, and therefore hostile towards normal missionaries. And they help to build bridges with the new culture with fewer hurdles because they are coming in primarily as, you know, wanting to participate in that culture's economy and supporting themselves. And then through their relationships that they build over time, they are sharing the gospel. And of course, we have an account of Paul doing this where he said, you know, I don't want anybody to have to support me. I'm going to continue to make tents to support myself while I preach the gospel. Now, before we finish up here, we just want to let you know what's coming up next week. We're going to be talking about some bad missions examples, the white savior complex, um, dealing with different missions, platitudes, things that we just say that might not be very helpful. Um, And that's going to be what we talk about next week. Okay, so with that, we are going to wrap up our episode for this week. This episode was a little bit shorter because it's kind of our intro episode to the missions discussion. Um, As Bethany said, we've got lots more coming down the pipe, so stay tuned in the coming weeks. This is going to be a four-part series, so we're going to have three more weeks talking about missions and all of the different issues with that. Our recommended resources for you this week um, are about missiology and then missions in general. So our first one is a video by John Piper, and it's one that was released in 2012 called Missions Exists Because Worship Does Not. And then we also have an article from gotquestions.org that discusses missiology and what that is. So we will be linking both of those in the show notes for you to check out if you would like. If you would like any further information on the podcast, just a reminder, you can check us out on our website at thrivetheology.com and we will chat with you next week. Bye.